0: You are tuned in to Faith City Outreach with Marina Maria, the founder of Global Gospel Worship Radio. Marina interviews local pastors and global leaders, sharing their testimonies and the work they're doing for the Lord. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus reminds us, Seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We hope this program will encourage you to do just that.
1: Now here's your host, Marina Maria. To Faith City Outreach, this is Marina Maria with today's special returning guest, Matthew Friedman. Matthew is a leading internationally renowned global expert on modern slavery and human trafficking. He's an award-winning public speaker, author, filmmaker, and philanthropist. Matthew often advises heads of governments and intelligence agencies. In 2017, Matthew received the prestigious Asia Communicator of the Year Gold Award for giving more than 1,100 presentations to 150,000 people, including government leaders and the Vatican on the topic of modern slavery within a five-year period in different countries. Thank you again, Matthew, for returning to Faith City Outreach today to share facts and myths, about human and child sex trafficking.
0: Thank you for the opportunity. I'm
1: glad to be here. Matthew, I know last time I talked to you, you were in Toronto. You were on a 53-day presentation tour. How did that go, by the way? Really quickly, if you could share. So... uh...
0: In September of October of last year, my wife and I traveled uh, three weeks in Canada and another uh, two and a half weeks in the United States from Atlanta up to New York. Uh, in those 53 days, we did 91 presentations. Uh, we uh, got in front of uh, 1,200 companies and 12,000 people. And so it was a good opportunity to see what was happening in the United States and to share our experiences of what's going on in Asia also other parts of the world. Um, it went very well, it was very exhausting. And when he came back, we got COVID. So um, that was the uh, kind of the, the negative side of it, but it gave us an opportunity to rest afterwards because we were exhausted.
1: I am sure that you have been a blessing globally despite the fact that sometimes you you get sick. I mean, I know you travel around the whole entire world and you are just, you and your wife are just a blessing to, to the world in regards to this very serious issue about human and child sex trafficking. Can you please start off with an overview of human trafficking cases globally?
0: So six months ago, the, the figure globally was 40 million people in what's called human trafficking and modern slavery but post COVID it's gone up to 50 million. And the reason for that is there's a certain amount of desperation. During COVID people weren't getting paychecks coming in. They didn't have any savings, they borrowed money, they couldn't pay that money back. And as a result of that, uh, this has resulted in the people who loan the money saying, well, I need a family member, they're gonna go off to a fishing boat or a sweatshop or a brothel. And so we're seeing this significant increase. But to put those numbers into perspective, About uh, 25 million of those uh, or 27 million would be forced labor. Out of that, 6.3 million of that would be for uh, commercial sex. Um, And this includes mostly girls, about 80 percent or 90 percent would be women and girls. There are boys associated with this as well. Globally, about 25,000 people enter modern slavery per day. Which means that every four seconds, somewhere in the world, somebody's entering into modern slavery. It could be in China, it could be Japan, it could be Australia, it could be the United States. Um, But to put the other side of the equation, the profits generated from modern slavery are 150 billion U.S. dollars a year, second only to drug trafficking, second largest transnational crime. But last year, with all of the NGOs and governments and uh, the United Nations combined, the world helped 100. 15,000 out of modern slavery. That's 0.2 percent, not even a half percent. So obviously a huge problem, but the response is relatively small compared to many other issues around the world.
1: And you said every four seconds somebody is forced into human trafficking?
0: That's right. This would be all over the world. This could be in India, could be China, could be United States. Uh, You're talking about a pervasive problem that has existed uh, probably from the beginning of time that most people don't really know much about.
1: Is it true or a myth that trafficking occurs in mostly developing countries?
0: Uh, Well, let's look at the United States. According to the Slavery Index number, this is the United Nations and Walk Freeze Index of human slavery. There's about 400,000 victims in the United States. Japan, 290,000. Thailand, a half a million. Uh, Korea, close to 100,000. So a lot of people feel like, well, this is happening in a less developed country. But even in developed countries, you have this issue. But it's important to kind of point out that when you hear these statistics, this includes forced marriage, this includes forced labor, and this includes forced prostitution. So it's all of those things mixed together. And again, the number globally for forced prostitution is 6.3 million. But that's still a huge number. And you'll find that in in all of the countries around the world, with the exception of, I think, Antarctica, which is the only place that I'm told doesn't have this. Every country has this particular issue. Uh, And so we all have to be concerned about it. The last thing I'll say is that what happens in Developed countries is people want to get into a developed country to improve their life. We see it along the uh, kind of border in the United States. We see it in uh, the UK, where people are trying to get into the UK or Europe and so forth. That is a magnet for people who are less developed to to go into those countries because of their vulnerability. They are vulnerable to becoming trafficked. And that's part of the reason why you see in these developed countries um, these people being in this kind of a situation.
1: What does human trafficking look like in the United States?
0: Well, in the United States, you have uh, uh, forced prostitution. Uh, you have uh, a lot of young people. And the typical scenario would be a 14-year-old girl who is having issues at home. And she runs away and ends up in the city. And when she gets there, she doesn't have enough money to come uh, go back. A pimp is in the bus station looking for these vulnerable girls will go and befriend the person and then say, listen, I'll give you some money tomorrow. We'll send you back. But takes this individual to his home and showers her with love and affection and gives her the things that she didn't feel like she had at home. So this is called grooming. And as a result of this process, eventually she develops a relationship with this individual. And then eventually, after this relationship is in place, he then begins to say, I need Money, I'm in trouble. If you love me, you'll go and sell your body. And so they eventually manipulate this person into this uh, scenario. We're also seeing a lot of online grooming where, in social networking platforms, again, these pimps uh, are looking for individuals who are misunderstood, who are from vulnerable situations. And then, as a result of that situation, will eventually lure them into uh, a, a meeting and uh, Maybe the person who's doing this is a 55 year old guy, but when he meets the girl, it's a 17 year old avatar, somebody who has been brought into this scenario. Uh, they go out on a date. Uh, he gives her a Coke that's laced with a roofie and then she wakes up in bed and she's naked with compromising pictures. And then basically he's told, you if you don't sell your body with us, this is gonna go to your family, to your community and so forth. So there are these various tricks that are done. But in addition to that, you have a large number of young people that end up in forced labor. There was recently a New York Times article that came out and described how, you know, in uh, buildings after hours, you have kids that are, uh, you know, trafficked into cleaning the buildings, cleaning slaughterhouses, mm-hmm. restaurants, agriculture situations. And so this is kind of what we see at, as this scenario in the United States related to both sex trafficking and forced labor.
1: So these victims are victims are young and they're vulnerable they're like runaways right
0: so actually uh, according to the united nations anyone under the age of 18 falls into the category of being a child by definition if you're in prostitution and you're under the age of 18 then you would be a sex trafficking victim so there's literally thousands of young people most of them are americans in america that are forced into this but the average age depending upon the survey, could be around 12 or 13 years old in some locations. So you see, for example, uh, these individuals that are uh, recruited, groomed, and then uh, forced into this particular scenario all over the country. And so the scenario is very much about having the person service individuals who want sex with young people or with uh, prostitutes in general. Okay, and so it's that's the typical scenario that we see in the United States related to this topic.
1: What has been the youngest age that this child has been a victim of sex trafficking?
0: Well, in different countries uh, I've seen as young as three or four in Cambodia, for example, you have this pedophilia (laughs) uh, mechanism whereby people who feel like they can't get the young ones will go off to other countries to do it. In the United States, uh, it's usually the youngest that I hear is around 11, 12. Um, That's that's kind of the standard. When you're getting into the real young children, it's it's much more difficult to um, kind of have these individuals because if you get caught with them, law enforcement will do all kinds of things. You'll end up getting much steeper uh, penalties and so forth. So uh, there's not as much data available to describe what happens to the real young ones, but it's the, the assumption is that there's literally tens of thousands of people in scenarios where they're in basements or held by people and so forth. There is no data to to uh, kind of validate the, the reality of those numbers. Uh, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying there's no data that has ever mm-hmm. demonstrated that. Um, and this is one of the things that I think a lot of people are talking about.
1: What are the major reasons for child sex trafficking?
0: I think it's demand for prostitution. Mm-hmm. It's demand for uh, you know, sex with young people. Uh, I, and I think it's probably the vulnerability of the victims themselves. You know, traffickers uh, basically fish in the pool of vulnerability. So whether it's migrants that come in that uh, the, their parents can't get jobs or if it's a situation where, again, there's vulnerability within the family because of abuse or incest or uh, uh, substance, you know, alcohol, father, gambling or whatever. This this type of tension creates a scenario whereby the person is, is very troubled. They have very low self-esteem. They, they're they looking for something different. And the traffickers are, are very good at identifying these individuals and then understanding the psychology of what they need they need a, a stable scenario and for a period of time they offer that again that's part of the grooming process that that happens and this this uh, identification of misunderstood individuals is probably the the biggest concern that we have as human trafficking responders how do you help those people? So they don't have that vulnerability so that they don't eventually find themselves in a trafficking situation.
1: Let's talk about the traffickers. Who are the main traffickers
0: Um, in in the United States? It's uh, again, if we look at forced labor, it's individuals that are looking to save money, you know, you know, picking tomatoes and uh, oranges or cleaning things. They recognize that uh, these migrants may be in situations where they have to support family members or they have debt back in their countries. And so uh, they're looking for these types of individuals. In sex trafficking, it's often uh, pimps. Uh, It would be uh, people who know how to groom and identify um, women in prostitution and to take advantage of that particular situation. So this is something that I mean, I remember when I was a kid watching after school movies that talk about how this happens. This is not something that is new. It's been around for a long time. And, you know, basically what those movies tell you is that, you know, if if your kid is misunderstood, if your kid is having issues, if your kid is having problems, then you have to be aware of the fact that they are. Vulnerable to these types of predators who are out there, and uh, and something needs to be done to get them into a stable situation.
1: So, can a trafficker and a pimp come from a wealthy background?
0: Yeah, I mean, there are situations where um, you know you have high end uh, market for individuals who are looking for for younger people. Um, the Epstein uh, scenario offers kind of an example of that, where uh, actually you had fairly well-off people who were um seeking mm-hmm. the sex of, of young people but you know the the pedophilia element of this the the having sex with children I mean that's always been a factor but it's it's not nearly as prevalent as people feel you know I mean the idea mm-hmm. that uh you know you have hundreds of thousands of people that are that are uh, wanting to have sex with you know very young children and so forth again the data doesn't doesn't support that there are people who are in this situation, but it's it's not nearly uh, as, as high as a, a lot of people would say.
1: So are the traffickers, are they people that the victims know or don't know?
0: So in, uh, in the rest of the world, what you often have are traffickers are individuals within communities. And mm-hmm. so like, they'll go to somebody and say, you know, your mom said that you should come with me, uh, I'm gonna take you and then they take the person away. Or in certain cases, it would be a family member, but usually an extended family member. We often hear that people say they were so poor that they would sell their daughter into prostitution. That happens, but not very often. You know, Whether you're rich or poor, you still love your kids. So oftentimes families are tricked and the trafficker is basically saying, I'm gonna take her off and she's gonna be working in a home and a nanny and so forth, only to end up in something else. But in the United States, uh, I I find it's less associated with family members. It's more associated with uh, maybe pimps in communities or people who, again, know how to take a child. And again, we're talking not, not five years old, seven years old, but someone from 12 to 17, and then put them into a situation where they can exploit them. And it's usually not for the purpose of an individual keeping an individual in place. This is, this is another thing that I often hear that, you know, you have all of these basements where you have children in there uh, and, and the numbers are are quite high that are being quoted. It's it's just not something that the data supports. Uh, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying the data doesn't support tens of thousands of, you know, individuals within families.
1: Is it a myth that only girls and women are victims of human trafficking?
0: Well, I mean, globally, you obviously, you would have... Uh, girls boys uh men women uh sex trafficking tends to be disproportionately women probably about 90 percent would be women and girls uh in different countries you find boys that are uh trafficked Uh, thailand for example cambodia other locations Um, but it generally tends to be women and girls when it comes to forced labor it's a mix of everybody Because you can use those individuals for all different types of things. So you can have boys and girls and men and women who are picking tomatoes or are working in pineapple farms or were in, you know, men and boys on fishing boats and so forth. So uh, statistically, I think it's about 55 percent women and girls in the total number of people in modern slavery. Um, But there are a lot of men and boys, again, in forced labor.
1: What are the major locations that trafficking mostly takes place at?
0: Well, according to the slavery index, the largest con- country that has modern slavery would be India, about 18 million people would be there. I think China is second, and then you have various other countries on that particular list. So where you have a uh, weak rule of law, you have lack of interest among law enforcement to enforce this type of activity and a lot of vulnerability and desperation, you're gonna find situations where a uh, modern slavery takes place. But once again, there's no country in the world that doesn't have this. You know, I often get in front of school audiences and I ask the kids how, which country doesn't have it. And everyone raises their hand and says U.S. or Japan or or uh, Sweden or Norway. All of those countries have this, this issue. It's just part of the fabric of the world scenario that these this type of exploitation takes place.
1: You mentioned the countries of where they take place. How about places in the community, for example, bus stations?
0: Well, bus stations, train stations, airports, you know, when during that uh, presentation tour that I was on, um, I must have had about 10 women, usually mothers come up to me and say, you know, I was in that bus station, and I saw this scenario. And it didn't look like that guy was should have been with that girl. And my kind of motherly gut feeling told me that there was something wrong with that. But I didn't know what to do. And so after listening to your talk, now I realize that I should have, should have probably done something. The number of times that happens is is quite often. We as parents, we have an instinct. You know, we know when something doesn't look right, but there's not enough general awareness to help people to understand when they see that they should do something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, later on, I'll give you some suggestions on what it is you can do, but it is a, it is a real scenario and, and phenomena that in front of us, There is usually a a situation where the trafficking is perhaps unfolding, but nobody intervenes because nobody knows how to go about doing that.
1: Now, is there a more frequent location that sex trafficking or just trafficking exists in the community than other locations?
0: Well, I mean, in terms of the recruitment process, it often happens in transportation centers or in scenarios where there is vulnerabilities. In terms of how it plays out, once again, uh, you have you, you can see in major cities street walkers, they have massage parlors that would have back rooms uh, where you would have young people that would be sold for sex. Uh, uh, you have the equivalent of homes that are used kind of as brothels. you have online solicitation where, uh, it used to be Backpage, Backpage, and Craigslist have been closed down for that. But there are still websites in the United States where you can where you can kind of order people and then the person will be brought to your house or to a hotel room and so forth. And so that is, if you're a predator, if you're somebody using these, these people, you would know how to go about doing that. Um, but, you know, it's often not very clear to the general public that this is happening. They just don't see it.
1: Is it true that in the United States, it's the most active sex trafficking country in the world? And if this issue is so serious, why aren't there stricter laws against it?
0: Well, I think the United States is like any other country. There's a certain percentage of people who will uh, seek uh, sex with young people. I've heard that that point about the United States being more than any other. I I think statistically speaking, in all countries, there's that percentage. For example, in in Thailand, there's there's a real appetite for for young girls among the Thai population. We see it. In other uh, Asian countries, partly because they feel like if you're there, there's three myths, and then these are the myths that we hear over and over again. Number one, if you have sex with a young person, you can't get a disease. Number two, if you have sex with a young person and you have a disease, something about her health will cure the disease. And number three, if you have sex with a young person, then if you are older, Their vitality somehow spills over to you. So, as a result of this existing in Africa and Asia, you have a lot of people who have sex with, you know, 14, 15 year olds, thinking that that is somehow going to, um, you know, uh, help them with either the disease or their vitality or whatever. Obviously, it's just the opposite. If you're a young person and you have sex, chances are you're going to get AIDS uh, because you're not developed. And at the same time, that viability thing is just. Obviously, there's no no truth to that kind of a scenario. Um, you know, in the, the United States, I, I think that uh, um, people who are seeking sex uh, will take the person who happens to be in front of them. And if they happen to be young, they're young. I don't think they're necessarily looking specifically for young uh, uh, women in prostitution. It's just what is available on the market. And oftentimes, these individuals will basically state that they're older than they are. Uh, you know, so because they, you know, there's there's a certain number of people that if they knew they were having sex with a 14, 15 year old would 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 not want that. You know, they would want the person to be over 18, but the person is saying I'm I'm 18 years old or whatever. Um, so, you know, within that group of people who are using women in prostitution, there are, again, those who have a more of a fetish for very young and Others that they don't have a fetish at all; they just want to have sex with somebody, and so they'll pay for whoever's in front of them.
1: Why is it taking so long to enforce stricter laws here in the United States? If this well, laws issue is have so always serious. existed,
0: but, but you know the thing is, is that there, there's a fair amount of money that's generated from um, forced prostitution, and as uh, a fair amount of that money goes to pay people off, um, law enforcement has many other things that they focus on. Um, I can't explain why it is that we don't have more raids and rescues related to this particular topic. Um, there's also this sense that if you're in prostitution, that you're somehow a bad girl or you're part of the criminal network. Um, and so they, they, they're just kind of considered within, you know, a lot of communities as, you know, uh, uh being troublesome or, you know, that they're, they're part of the, the problem when in fact, if you, uh, you talk to them no no 15 year old girl wakes up and says when I grow up I want to be in prostitution it's just it's a terrible thing that you, you you're in there are people who do it voluntarily but for desperation reasons but it's generally there's always a backstory there's always a description that describes how she got into that situation that's been my experience over time um and uh you know as a result of this scenario of uh you know, the availability with a lack of a law enforcement response, that's why it thrives.
1: So you're saying that this issue is not a priority?
0: If it was a priority, there would be a lot more people uh, uh, rescued out of this situation. Remember, when Backpage was out there, you know, this was a repository for ads for selling sex. And in many places, selling sex in the United States is illegal, there's, you know, there's many, many people that are right out in the open selling um, individuals uh, online. If you wanted to do raids and rescues, you could certainly do that. I think what the what the law enforcement in the United States tends to focus more on would be the younger, really young, under the age of 14 ones. And, and certainly that is a priority. But relative to the number of people that are in this situation, obviously a lot more
1: can be done. What can people, especially Christians, or just people in general, everyone, what can we do to encourage the lawmakers to enforce stricter laws and um, and imprisonment and make this issue a priority?
0: I I think prayer is really important. I I think we should always uh, kind of understand the relevance and the importance of how prayer can help to move this forward. I I think, uh, you know, Basically understanding the, the the number of people that are actually in these circumstances and being able to inform law enforcement that, you know, it's unacceptable that this exists here uh, and helping them to understand the, the relevance and the importance of young people being precious to our culture and to our society. And, you know, when this stealing of innocence and then forcing them into this horrible scenario, I mean, I, <laughs> I've said to many law enforcement, what if this was your daughter? What if this mm-hmm. was your sister? What if this was your, uh, you know, uh, uh, another family member? I mean, if if this was somebody in your family, wouldn't you take uh, all the time and effort that's needed in order to to help these individuals? These individuals are somebody's daughter, are somebody's sister. You know, and so we as Christians, we need to really care about the fact that A 15 year old should not be forced to have sex with, you know, uh, three, four, eight, ten guys a day. It's just unacceptable. It's commercial rape. And this scenario needs to be stopped. But it's really important to understand exactly how this happens in order to then inform law enforcement on how to go about it. There are a lot of rumors and myths about what happens out there in the real world related to this that have to be corrected in order for them to actually go after the victims in the situations that are real.
1: So how can we be proactive?
0: Well, I mean, I think that uh, there are many different uh, websites that will talk about grooming, that will talk about uh, social media. Uh, in terms of how parents and adults uh, and children as well can either protect themselves or spot this, and if they see something, what they need to do is to know that there are different locations that you can go to in order to to address this. the The biggest and the most uh, important mechanism is the hot, is the national hotline that is run by an organization called Polaris. Polaris is an amazing organization. They have a, a fantastic NGO. The number is 1-888-373-7888. And, you know, if you call that number, there will be somebody on the other end who knows about human trafficking and they'll collect the information. And then they will, if they can, alert law enforcement and the NGOs in those locations. And as a result of that, you would be able to, uh, you know, uh, affect some type of a change. If you see something that looks like it's immediate, just call nine one one you know, in the United States, because that that number will get the attention of the local authorities. Um, And once again, if often human trafficking victims are not right out in the open, but every once in a while they have to be moved from one place to another. So that scenario where it really looks like there's this movement taking place may be the only time when that person might have somebody witnessing this crime unfolding or taking place. And so it's really kind of important for us to know You know, the signs of human trafficking, if the person doesn't look like she belongs with that individual, if she's dressed differently, if she looks very nervous, if she's fidgeting, if she uh, tends to look disoriented, if she has no possessions with her. I mean, there's there's a whole list of indicators that you can find online. There's many lists that look at that. That's really how we protect people, because, again, out of the 50 million people in modern slavery, collectively, the world is helping less than a half percent of them. You know, so if people want to help, then they really need to educate themselves and then be part of the solution and also educate others, but it has to be based on the real information related to this topic.
1: So if someone sees something suspicious, uh they would call nine one one.
0: They could call nine one one if they think it's and you know, if it, it turns out not to be, you know, and sometimes that's the case, uh you know uh, uh shouldn't we be more concerned about the potential victim than you know whether or not somebody is inconvenienced for five minutes when somebody comes up to them and asks them questions it's it's just part of i i mean i know in thailand you have uh families where you know a a thai woman is married to a thai man and their child looks like their looks like the mother and so he's the father of a of a asian kid and he's walking down the beach and people go up and say what are you doing with that young child and his Mm -hmm. response uh, could be simply well it's my kid, and that it ends there. But if it wasn't his kid, and she's, you know, and 11 years old, uh, and she shouldn't be with him, then you know, obviously, this is a scenario that we should be we concerned about. Concerned about. And so, it's okay for for that situation to be called out for what it is, or could be.
1: How can parents be cautious of sex traffickers or prevent their children from becoming a victim?
0: Well, you know, I, I think it's this issue where, you know, I presented a lot of schools all across Asia. And in the Asian context, they, they allow me to present seventh, eighth grade. Um, and they do that because they recognize the potential vulnerability. In some parts of the world, they don't want their kids to be exposed to this issue. But at the same time, if they're not, the possibility of them, you know, not understanding the warning signs could be there. So I think education, uh, this could be from Uh, school and they, you know, you can, the school system can decide the age that's appropriate. Uh, Maybe it's uh, ninth grade or 10th grade, but, you know, we certainly should be educating people about this. Uh, Understanding the, the problems that exist on social media, the fact that social media uh, is, uh, has anonymous people that may be, uh, kind of searching for vulnerability within the public. You never really know who's on the other end. You shouldn't trust anyone on social networking, Um, you know, and uh, just develop a sense of communication with your kids, you know, so that, you know, listen, son or daughter, if, if you feel like something uncomfortable happens, let us know, we're here for you. Tell a teacher, tell somebody of authority. Um, it's really important that you understand that we are here for you in this particular situation. You know, churches can be a part of this process as well. I know that in some places, Sunday schools uh, will will uh, talk about this particular issue. Um, but, you know, this is a big bad world out there. There are things that happen that we should know about. And uh, um, we have to be vigilant in terms of educating our children that, you know, uh, don't take candy from strangers, don't get into ca- stranger's car. We were all taught that. But, you know, this is a particular topic that now, even more than ever, there are a lot of these predators that are out there. we gotta, we got to ensure that our kids don't find themselves in the hands of these individuals.
1: Yes, and constantly supervising them. Indeed. What is an exaggeration that exists about child sex trafficking?
0: Well, there's the, an assumption that literally hundreds of thousands of young children from around the world are ending up in basements in the United States. I often hear that. Um, You know, the United States government immigration service is pretty good at kind of screening people. We know that individuals cross over the border, um, but they often are picked up by the pimps and so forth. It's not as if there is this 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 huge network and thousands of kids that are ending up in this situation. I'm saying that based on the fact that there's just no data to support that. We have pretty good data about the fact that uh, girls end up in sex trafficking. We have pretty good data about how individuals end up in forced labor and circumstances. But there is there's nothing to really kind of uh, validate or verify that in fact that's something that uh, happens in large numbers. Uh, usually uh, there there are cases, usually under a couple of hundred that you'll have a pedophile that will take a child and so forth. But that uh, you know it's really hard to keep a a child in a scenario where, you know, they're, they're they're held in a basement or something. It just, you know, the neighbors are there. There's all kinds of people who could potentially see this. It's It's often talked about. We just don't have anything that validates the fact that these numbers are anything like what we hear.
1: What is a conspiracy theory out there around the topic of child sex trafficking?
0: Well, we often hear that there's these huge networks that literally hundreds of thousands of children end up coming to the United States and then being held in place by, you know, uh, you know, a pedophile or uh, you know, somebody who has a fetish for young children. Uh, there, there is no data that the kind of supports that. We, we have pretty good data in terms of forced prostitution and the fact that young people are Actually, selling sacks and being part of that for you know the general public that's looking for that, but in terms of the individuals being in homes, it just there's just no data that supports that.
1: What is the imprisonment um, time that a trafficker um, gets after being arrested?
0: Uh, it really depends. It's state by state. It, it varies. For some states, it's a misdemeanor. You know, you know, and and others over time they've increased it to to something much bigger. Uh, and that's just as a particular state looks at their laws and if they determine that you know uh, what, what's basically happening is human trafficking, then the the um, the jail time and so forth increases significantly. Again, depending upon the age of the person determines what that is. I think what's really neat is is there to be a, kind of a standardization of that process because for for a long time in the United States, you know, a, a pimp, Uh, basically, you know, they would slap them on the hand and basically say, don't do this. They didn't call it human trafficking, but it's always been human trafficking. If you're under the age of 18 and you're uh, being tricked or deceived or forced to have sex, uh, it's a crime. Mm -hmm. Even if the person says, I want to be doing it, you know, if you're 15 years old, you don't have the maturity or the agency at that age to be able to do that. And so somebody needs to be held accountable. And so some type of standardization of that process, it would be uh, what I would suggest happening in the United States.
1: Well, what what is the time, the imprisonment time? It starts with what, five to 15 or five to 20 years in prison? Uh,
0: Yeah, it can be from a couple of days to multiple years. Once again, it it depends upon the, the severity of it. For example, if there's uh, violence associated with it. If there's threats associated with it, if mm-hmm. if, and again, the age of the 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 person, all of those okay. things factor into the court
1: cases. Matthew, you had said that if someone witnesses someone being trafficked, they can dial nine one one or that one eight hundred number that you can um, repeat again for us, please.
0: One eight eight eight. And this is the uh, Polaris hotline number. Um, And if you see something, you can report it. A lot of victims uh, will eventually get this number and call themselves, and that's how they get rescued and so forth. Uh, Sometimes they put it in um kind of gas station uh bathrooms so mm. you know if a person's being moved from one place to another and they stop and she uses the toilet then it says if you're in trouble call this number you know if you really think that there is something illegal happening and it's happening right in front of you uh then 911 is the emergency number and the police will determine the extent to which they will respond to these types of things based on the information that's available most people don't have the uh, police phone number on their phone. So 911 is the, uh, is the, uh, the way you would approach a, a police situation in the United States.
1: Matthew, can you explain more about the human trafficking that's happening in scam centers?
0: Okay, so many Americans know that there are scammers out there. We've heard about the Nigerian scams and people calling and pretending that they have business opportunities and so forth. That's been around for a while. But what's new is in this part of the world in Asia, young, educated people are being lured to places like Myanmar and Cambodia with the promise of a job. You can make five thousand U.S. dollars a month if you go to Cambodia and you can live in a, a hotel and have a wonderful life and so forth. So young people who want some adventure or don't have a job in their country will go there. And when they get there, you know, they're picked up in a van and then they're taken to a scam center a large compound that literally has thousands of young people who are forced to scam people from China, Singapore, Hong Kong, Australia, the United States, and so forth. There's literally tens of thousands of people in this situation. If they don't don't meet their target, they are tasered, they are beaten, they are tortured. Sometimes they are sold from one scam center to another. Sometimes they're sold back to their family. Sometimes they're just killed. And so usually when you think about human trafficking victims, you're thinking about, you know, uh, vulnerable migrants, uh, less developed countries, people in poverty. Here you have college educated people who are finding themselves in this situation. So there's two elements of it, the human trafficking into the scam center and then the scams themselves. And what the scammers are doing is they're getting much more sophisticated. They're using AI in order to come up with Um, kind of the the scripts in order to kind of trick people into this situation. AI can produce a mirror uh, website that looks exactly like your banking website or a legitimate uh, crypto website and so forth. And once you are in that space, then they can manipulate the numbers to make it look like you're earning all kinds of money. And then when it looks like you have no more money to put in, they, they terminate it and a person loses everything. So you have two types of victims here. So the concern that I have is that this is proliferating beyond Asia. It was initially in Cambodia and Myanmar. Now we see it in Thailand, Malaysia, India, uh, Bangladesh, Kenya, Mexico. Um, so if this becomes a new form of criminality, it's going to be quite scary because you have the AI and the large number of people using it in order to scam people out of money. Christians are also being targeted because the person will pretend to be a Christian and say, well, you know, you can trust me. I, you know, I have Jesus in my corner and, you know, I wouldn't do anything to, to hurt you. And so it's really important for people to understand what's going on. And the terminology for this is called pig butchering. And what what that means is the scammers will take a person who is a target or a victim and they get them really fat by getting all of their money into into this mechanism. And when it looks as if there's no more money, they terminate it, which is the butchering of the pig. And so the scammers call the victims piglets, you know, you know, and they they'll do anything they can in order to get you to agree to things. And they play the long game, which means that what they do is they. Uh, will nurture a relationship with you over three, four, five weeks before they even talk about, you know, anything to do with money. Then basically you have a scenario where they say, put $10,000 in and you'll double it. You do that and then you get 20. And then they say, take the money out, take it, take it home so you can see it. So you develop this sense. And then a little bit later down the line, they'll say, let's go for a big deal, $700,000. Oh, you don't have that much money? Okay, we'll borrow some. This will allow you to have triple the money that you had. You saw that it's real. So they put that money in, they borrow money, and then it's terminated. They lose everything. It's happening all over the world. It's a big problem. It's something that we have to be aware of. Be very careful of the links that you touch on your phone that you don't know of, the people who approach you. you know, Any opportunity that seems too good to be true probably is. And this is a, a major phenomenon that we should be looking out for in the future.
1: So what would you say to the young people who are educated that are being deceived, force them to scam other people to get them well, to we, do that? We
0: actually, in the subway system here, will be working to put up posters and signs. Uh, we'll be doing presentations at universities to the general public. We'll, there are films that are out there that people can look at. All of these things are, are basically uh, available to the public. Uh, um, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And you really have to be mindful of that. So because this issue has been so associated with Myanmar and Cambodia, you're not going to get a lot of young people to end up going to those countries. The word is out here in Asia, but we're seeing these centers now in other locations. Mm -hmm. And so my concern is that if you the centers proliferate and somebody feels like, well, if they go to Singapore, they're going to be or Malaysia, they can get a job. They don't have to, it's not Cambodia, it's not Myanmar then there's no problem. You still have to do your due diligence to make sure that what you're getting into is real. Because you know when you talk to the scammers, they say it's like having an ATM machine. You get a person, you put them in a seat and you force them to do it. And then the money just keeps coming. Unlike drug trafficking, where you have to take the drugs and sell them and move them and then do it again and do it again. Uh, sex trafficking and, and forced scamming have the same component. You hold a person in place, you get them to basically make money for you. And so it's the type of business that is very easy to proliferate, especially in locations where law enforcement doesn't know about this. And so it's it's really a a concerning new trend that we're seeing.
1: Is there anything that we haven't discussed that we have left out that is really important for people to know? I mean, I this?
0: I think that, you know, clearly child sexual exploitation in the form of human trafficking is an issue. It's a problem and it's been around for a long time. Clearly, we're not doing enough to be able to address this, but it's really important for us to understand exactly how it plays out and, you know, who are the people that are involved and for us to, you know, pray about this and, you know, encourage our communities to address this. Obviously, as we've indicated, it's important to educate our community about the problem, our kids, you know, to help them to understand the the, potential vulnerability on social networking um and you know it's basically you know the practicality of uh don't trust strangers you know don't listen to people you don't know and if you ever have any concerns go to a, a, an adult uh whether it's your teacher or your pastor or your your parents uh if you're if you're a young person to to report what happened because uh you know they're there to Basically, see that something bad doesn't happen to you.
1: Thank you so much, Matthew, for returning to Faith City Outreach. I uh, just thank you and your wife for the bold work that you are doing globally, and may God continue to bless you both.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Global Gospel Worship Radio with Marina Maria, where all the nations praise the Lord with Christian international music and radio programs. For more information about our radio ministry, please go to Global Gospel Worship Radio. Dot org. And now we'd like to bless you with this scripture from Numbers six twenty four through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thanks for listening.